0: Hello, before we get into our main episode here, we just want to take a couple minutes and talk to you about Relay FM for Saint Jude. As anyone who has listened to this network at all this month or in past years knows, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And Relay FM has been campaigning officially with St. Jude since 2019. And since that year, we have raised over $2.2 million. And with your help again this year, we are aiming on raising more than 2.5 million. So why don't you help us get there? As we are recording this right now, we're actually just about $250,000 raised this year, which means that we are only about $40,000 away from that goal of raising $293,000 this year. So I know that we can absolutely do it. St. Jude will not stop their life-saving work until no child dies from cancer. And with your support, we will be one step closer to that day, one cure closer, and one child closer.
1: Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, it's estimated that more than 400,000 children worldwide develop cancer every single year, and nearly half of them are actually never diagnosed. In the United States, more than four out of five children actually survive cancer, but in many developing countries, this statistic is actually reversed. Fewer than one out of five children diagnosed with cancer will live. The most significant predictor of whether a child will survive cancer is where the child lives. That's why in March 2018, St. Jude became the first and only World Health Organization collaborating center for childhood cancer. And the goal of the WHO Global Initiative for Childhood Cancer is to raise the survival rate of six common childhood cancers to 60% by 2030. And in 2021, St. Jude and the World Health Organization launched the global platform for access to childhood cancer medicines. It aims to provide free chemotherapy medicines in the next few years to as many as 120,000 children around the world with cancer. St. Jude is now in the pilot phase of that initiative. In April this year, they met with the representatives from the program's first few countries to figure out the logistic details of how the process will work to get medicine from ports of entry to hospitals. You can read more about the global work of St. Jude at global.stjude.org. We are
0: so grateful to everyone in this community who has supported St. Jude over the last five years. And We are asking for your support again this year to support the life-saving mission of St. Jude. Like every year, we are once again having a -a podcast-a-thon. So this will be the fifth annual podcast-a-thon on Friday, September 22nd from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, 12 hours long. But even before we get to that point, there are many, many rewards and cool things that you can unlock by donating.
1: Yeah, so donors who make an individual gift of $60 or more will receive a digital bundle of Relay FM wallpapers and screensavers. Last year, our screensavers sent shockwaves through the Relay FM community, so don't miss out. Also, donors who make an individual gift of $100 or more will receive our 2023 sticker pack featuring all new designs. And when you donate this year,
0: please click on the blue Search Employer button on the Donation Summary page, and you can check if your employer offers a matching gift program. If they do, you'll get an email with details on how to have their match credited to our
1: campaign total. And if you want to get more hands-on, you can start your own fundraising campaign to help us reach our goals while Earning exclusive Relay FM merch. Fundraisers who raise at least $1 will receive a 2023 face-off edition of the Relay FM for St. Jude Challenge coin. And fundraisers raising $250 or more will also receive this year's Incredible Desk Mat. And new for this year, the top 50 fundraisers at the end of the campaign will receive a limited edition Relay FM for St. Jude tote bag in an all-weather material with laptop sleeve that may apparently have have a surprise inside. So
0: please go to stjude.org slash relay to donate, find out more about the fundraising, see all the cool events we've got coming up, including that podcast-a-thon and many other events throughout the month. That is stjude.org slash relay. St. Jude
1: won't stop until no child dies from cancer. With your support, we'll be one step closer to that day, one cure closer, one child closer. This month and every month, let's cure childhood cancer together.
0: hello and welcome back to pictorial on relay FM I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school but that doesn't stop me from learning all about art anyway
1: and I'm Betty I also didn't go to art school but that also doesn't stop me from learning all about art or architecture apparently but it's they're they're very interchangeable as as we will learn more about today
0: and this is actually part two uh, finishing up our conversation about the Venice Biennale Architecture Edition. Uh, So
1: we're going to dive right into it. Yeah, so for anyone who missed last episode, um, if you... Want to go back and listen. I basically gave a overview of the history of the Venice Biennale Architecture Edition, uh, which started in around 1975 to 1980-ish, and then all the way up until today. And so the last time I went over some of the highlights from previous years, and this time I'll be talking about some highlights from this year. So I think before I I wasn't really able to go in depth into every year because otherwise it would have been a 10-hour podcast or more. But um, this time I'll be talking about the 2023, so I'll give a bit more information, talk about some of the pieces that I think are interesting. And then um, in the end, I have some questions, um, which we'll talk about later Mm. and uh, you'll see why. Exciting. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay, so... This year, so this year's 2023... And um, so I think people know that, but uh, or this is the 2023 uh, 18th International Architecture Exhibition, and so I think I mentioned last time it's happening between t- uh, May 20th to November 26th. It's going on in Venice, similar to the art uh, edition. There's multiple locations where you can see different kinds of exhibits, and this year the, um, the this year the chief curator is uh, this. A person who is a educator and novelist her name is Leslie Loco and so she uh, has a brief on the website that's um, where she kind of she talks about some of the some of the themes of this year's tour but basically she says uh, so architecture has a unique opportunity to put forward ambitious and create creative ideas to help us imagine a more equitable and uh, optimistic future and so this year's show a lot of it is um, focused on like what architecture can do but like uh, she in particular really wanted to focus on you know ideas of like um, creating like, you know, a better future uh, for our um, society. um, And some, some things have to do with the environment, some things has to do with like inequities around the world. So she's also um, the founder of the uh, African Futures Institute, uh, which uh, was established in Ghana in 2020. And so the other aspect of this year's show is also focused on a lot of people who actually haven't really been represented in uh, the Venice Biennale regular or architecture edition so there's a lot of lot more people from a diverse a variety of backgrounds around the world and um, yeah and there's like an effort to show a variety of different perspectives. Uh, the show is oh and then so that the, the uh, the name, the theme of the exhibition is called Laboratory of the Future again focusing on the future and how we can come up with solutions um, to solve like various problems around the globe that architecture can um, uh, address um, and then there, it features um, 89 participants and so half of them uh, of the 89 pr- participants are either from Africa or the African diaspora and the gender balance this year is 50-50. I'm I wasn't able to verify if this was the first time that was the case, but I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if it was. Um, And um, it's also a younger um, average participation. So uh, the average age uh, used to be 43, but uh, now – or sorry, the average age – Used to be actually even higher, but is actually now forty three. Um, and then some of the youngest participants are as young as like people in their early twenties. The other aspect about this exhibition is that there's less of a focus on conventional architecture. And when I go through some of the some of the exhibitions, um, you'll kind of see. So it's yeah, less about like just buildings. There's a lot of other like explorations of like other aspects of the building practices and like show- showcasing like so I I think kind of going back to what we were talking about last time there were already some exhibitions from previous shows that's not necessarily just a building or the design of a building I like I mentioned there was an exhibition that was about an earthquake in Japan so it really was just like a pile of rubble and then there was another um one that I really liked but I don't think you <laughs> knew what was going on which was just like wireframes of that but like of architecture but it was just like these translucent like wires in the middle of a room which I think a lot of people were like they didn't know what was going on but I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah so anyway that's kind of the backdrop of of this year's exhibition.
0: I mean all the stuff that you were saying about you know this being like uh, younger entries and more uh, balanced entries at least in gender I mean that makes a lot of sense with what you were talking about of the, the theme and the goal of this year being like looking towards a brighter future and building
1: literally building a better future. Yeah, so I think what I'll do is I'll just go through um, I look through a lot of the uh, the descriptions of exhibition in this show. Again, I don't have the opportunity of going to Venice this year, so a lot of these I'm kind of reading about and looking at pictures um, and if I do ever get a chance to go, that would be awesome. We'll do an on-location pictorial, but um yeah, so but I there are definitely a number of interesting works but the first link I just dropped in there um is actually I heard about this particular piece actually through um, a speaker that came to my company uh recently so every couple of months we have um we have this like speaker kind of lecture theory uh, lecture this lecture series where we invite like different people some people are like architects but some people are just people in the community um just talking about like different types of Design like issues and awareness um, and things like that. And this this speaker from a couple months ago was this woman named named Mabel Wilson, Um, and she actually in her talk, um, which a lot of it is about like equity and uh, inclusion, she actually mentioned that she had a piece in the Venice Biennale, and I was like, oh wow. I'm going to talk about that on Victoria soon. So I really listened in on this one. So you do have the inside scoop. Apparently like this was just like totally random that like I, I was, it was not planned, but now I have the inside scoop apparently. Yeah. So this work, um, it's by, uh, so Mabel Wilson and she collaborated with, um, a bunch of others, um, May Jean Yoon, Eric and Eric Howler. Um, so, uh, Mabel Wilson is from the U.S. and Major Yoon is from Korea and Eric Heller is from um, Colombia, And they also collaborated with a number of other people. Um, but this particular work is called Unknown Unknown. And so it's this room that um, where they have, it's kind of just like a Uh, installation of space and like light and sound and what it is is that it, it attempts to remember unnamed members of an enslaved community in the university of virginia in charlottesville usa um and so it actually goes through archival research um which goes into um which has information about some of the like enslaved people um, of the university. Um, many of them we don't know the names of, and there are some people who we we do know the names of. Um, but uh, a lot of the a lot of the the um, people that are featured are um, unnamed black women who are domestic laborers. And uh, yeah, do you want to describe what uh, you are seeing in this particular photograph?
0: Yeah, this is a very stark image. Um, This is clearly like a very large room. Um, It looks like the the walls look like they're unfinished brick. Um, And then on one side of the wall, you have these large arches that have writing on them. It looks like the writing is projected. Um, And then you have these uh, standing in the middle of the room, At least from what we can see, you can't, it looks like you can really only see like one section. It gives the impression that there's like a lot more room behind you. Um, But you have these, I I think it actually looks like sheets maybe, but like huge sheets um, that are hung uh, so that they're also Projections onto them as well, but I can't really tell what's being projected.
1: Yeah, so the the picture is kind of um, it gives, because it's a photo of a projections. It's kind of hard to read the words, um, but basically, what's projected are quotes from this woman called Isabella Gibbons uh, who was born around the 1830s and she was um, an enslaved woman serving as a cook in the University of Virginia and then after liberation in 1865 she later became a teacher and she was very influential to a lot of people a lot of her students Um, and there's um, recently actually Mabel Wilson also uh, so the reason actually one of the things she talked about in her talk with us um, was about the um, they actually built a memorial to enslave, enslaved laborers at UVA, which includes Isabella Gibbons. And so what's projected Are um, is a, a quote of her um, basically describing some of her experiences um, being enslaved at the hands of uh, this uh, person called Professor William Barton Rogers. And she talked about like the violence, things like the whipping post, the auction block, and um, basically just these very violent scenes that are um, like really difficult to learn and read about, but are obviously important memories. Um, And so, yeah, so it's interesting because I I was like looking at the description of this um, exhibition and I'm like, well, if it's unknown and we don't know the names of a lot of the people then what are, what's actually the words being projected. And it turns out it's, it was the words of um, Isabella Gibbons. And so yeah. Um. Anyway, I, I guess my first question to you is, what do you think of this? And Mike, I guess my second question is, like, what do you think of this as a part as um, uh, something in an architecture exhibition?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is beautiful. Like, even just seeing the picture, there's there's an element of scale um to this work that it clearly is, I would say, deeply overwhelming. Um and then his intention is to be overwhelming because it is an unfathomable topic that we have to try to fathom but yeah I was going to ask you about that and its choice is inclusion in an architecture because it is you know these are very large pieces where it looks like it's designed to be walked through Um, as which I guess is architecture but also like I would not blink twice if I uh, walked into an art museum uh, and walked through this piece um, and it was not presented in an architecture lens at all. So I'm very curious, like why, um, like what about this makes it specifically architecture? Like, was that the creator's decision like uh, or or is there like a specific uh, choice um, that is made to like where it falls in one biennale or another?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to that is it probably depends on people's interpretation, but but personally, this is my interpretation. So the University of Virginia is an example of a this type of um, architecture actually in the U.S. That's very representative of um, like uh, architecture like architectural styles that's very prevalent in. The, the United States and it's essentially draws from a neoclassical European design style but it actually a lot of it was pioneered by Thomas Jefferson who was actually an architect and designed a lot of buildings in the University of Virginia and I remember having to study a bunch of his buildings uh, when I was in school uh, the first time um, so far this being in school the second time I haven't studied his buildings yet but I wouldn't be surprised if that comes up um, but yeah, so, the, so, but the thing is, so the context it, of a lot of the stories um, of these laborers took place at, in the backdrop of this university, of these campus buildings. For the longest time, you know, like, my knowledge of this type of, like, neoclassical architecture, you know, it's, it represented, like, or at least I've been told, like, you know, the United States and, like, democracy and, like, freedom and, you know, liberation. Meanwhile, the, for these people, that that probably isn't what this architecture reflects. And, in fact, it is likely totally the opposite. So this piece, I think, is in a way, like, giving us a different lens and of understanding historically, these architectural pieces and design styles and, and what it meant for different people. So that's why I think it's included in this particular um, like, architecture exhibition. Yeah, no, that's a really
0: good point about how it exists in conversation with what we might think of like, as
1: more traditional ideas of architecture. So I'll show you a few other pieces. Um, and then and and this question will probably come up a few times um, about like you know what counts as architecture, and then what counts as something that you know is it makes sense in, in an ex in a exhibition or be an alley that features uh, architectural works. Um, so this next work uh, or a series of works is actually so it, this is from one of the nation, the national pavilions, and it's from the Brazil pavilion, and so this one. Um actually won the golden line for best national participation, which we mentioned last time was is like you know um their awards and this is like the best in show of a particular category and the name of this pavilions is called Terra, which um means earth, and so most of these uh pieces that you see photos of are like furniture pieces um, made out of like rammed earth or like earth materials. And in fact, the flooring of this exhibition is also made out of rammed earth. Um, and it was curated by um, architectural designers uh, Gabriela, Gabriela de Mato and architect uh, Paulo uh, Tavares. And so they talked about um, like the, the reason for choosing this material to present is to talk about like the significance of the land and earth and how um, it's deeply rooted in like narratives of nation of national formation and representation in brazil and and just like how this material has shaped their national identity and so yeah and then it also for a lot of people like the earth material has this ancestral connection um which isn't just unique to people of brazil there's like internationally there's a there's actually a, like a huge uh, history among a lot of different cultures of building with like or raw earth materials and the reason I brought bring this up is actually um, today today my most successful YouTube video is a video about using dirt <laughs> or like to make buildings um, so I uh, t- uh, talked about um, another uh, architect who I think actually also has something in this show but I um, I th- I couldn't or it didn't, uh, I couldn't find uh, in, in too much information about that particular work, or maybe I just didn't have time, but um, the video that I made uh, is talking about the architect Francis Carey who's uh, from Burkina Faso and um, but I kind of then this video expanded for me to just talk about earth building materials in general and how uh, basically it's kind of undervalued and there's a lot of benefits like environmentally um, and just in many other aspects and you know, my, my point is in the video is like, I feel like this is a material that we should pay more attention to. And it's also for, in a lot of cases free, cause it's just in the ground. Um, and, um, it, it can also possibly be a solution to like affordable housing and such. Um, but yeah, so personally for me, that this is very special because, you know, I made a whole video about it and, and people seem to like it um and and I think it's like an important material to to consider um so and so this one is you know more in line with a traditional um like architecture uh, or, or it has more to, to, of a connection to architecture because it's literally talking about um a material but the way it's presented is not like the, these are designs of some buildings it was they're just these like kind of furniture pieces and like a floor um that's that's made of earth
0: i really like this um i think people who are going to fancy art shows should be confronted with dirt more often (laughs) just in general (laughs) Um, but also like this is such a this is such an interesting approach in such an interesting way to sort of comment on so many different topics and bring them together and like the whole uh the whole overall theme of like being in direct connection to like indigenous traditions um, and bringing that like that that through line of architecture all the way to the present, um, I think is so important. Like, there's always this false narrative of like indigenous history is just history and it's like not part of the present, which is just a, a myth that is perpetuated. Um, and so, yeah, and so especially like bringing this on to one of like the top international stages for this kind of thing and saying like let's take this really seriously um because this has a lot to offer and it is something that has a lot of value in this present moment because like god knows the earth is not doing that great and so anything that we can do to like one be in connection with it and to understand it better um and to use knowledge and techniques um to you know create better buildings that is really important stuff (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure, and in the context also of Brazil, which is home to the Amazon forest, mm. like it, it's so vitally important um, for us to pay attention and ensure that it survives. Which, uh, you know, I won't get into it in this podcast. That there's a lot of um, problems <laughs> with. So yeah, and for, uh, for me, like personally, working in the architecture industry, like just over the years, learning about how the work we do is actually responsible for 40% or more, uh, depending on how you like what studies you look at, um, of global emissions. And like, just me us creating one building that is like carbon neutral, or as responsible as we can make it can make a significant impact. So yeah, like, I'm personally like, really interested in these types of like, materials and just like, thoughts and like you said it's not a lot of the solutions are there indigenous people have like found these solutions thousands of years ago we just chose to ignore it it's not like we need some fancy new like green technology that costs like a bajillion dollars to solve these issues we just need to like actually learn from people who have been doing it for thousands of years
0: if i ever had the money to build a house could i hire you to design the house
1: for me Oh yeah. I mean, totally. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Great. I would, I would be happy to, (laughs) you know, I just, (laughs) I was just like,
0: (laughs) that's not related to the Venice But I was thinking, you know, you gotta get these, you, 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 uh, you know, designing sustainable buildings and making sure that like every things that you work on, like have that little bit of impact on it at a time, um, can really end up making a big impact over time. Um, and I was like, wow, I wish Betty could design my house. (laughs)
1: I'm like, well, I'm here, you know, I, you know, I'm, yeah, like, definitely, I'm, uh, let me know, let me know when, when you're going to move into that house, and, uh, well, we can talk. Okay, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, so the next link, is the Latvia Pavilion, and um, yeah, I think uh, if you click on the link, there's a bunch of pictures on that page you'll see of this, installation um would you like to describe for the listeners what you see in here
0: this is adorable <laughs> yeah. it, it they the headline says the pavilion of lafayette presents a supermarket of architectural ideas and it sure does it literally it looks like a little supermarket but everything is really bright and colorful um and there are all these uh sort of like billboards kind of on the top of the shelves that have um questions and things on them it is all a a little um it's it's very of the now in terms of graphic design which is like i like this (laughs) style of graphic design where it's really bright and there's these bold shapes um but you could definitely tell it's like wow this looks like a website (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, it's very definitely like um of a trendy graphic design style. Um, But the supermarket aspect is really cool. And does every single product in here have, is it like it is all different stuff on them? That is so
1: elaborate. Yeah. So apparently this is a supermarket, but the products on the shelves are not necessarily what you would find in a, in a typical supermarket. And so what is On there are 506 products, but each of them was an idea that was presented in one of the exhibitions within the last 10 architecture biennales. So it's basically a supermarket featuring past Venice Biennale projects. So some of the stuff I talked about in the last episode might be like somewhere on these shelves right now. Yeah, and then I think it allows visitors to interact with the products because um, there's a apparently a voting system for them to um like i guess i don't know vote on their favorite projects and i'm i'm assuming that's them grabbing the show the product and checking it out i'm not exactly sure how they're voting on it but that would be cool if that's how they do it um like you said like it, this is fun this is they, they're presenting architecture projects or mostly from previous shows um but this is a supermarket. And as somebody who actually has designed supermarkets, that definitely is architecture. Um, But I will say, like, like you said, it's the design here is more so probably graphics rather than like, you know, a typical supermarket. Um, But still, graphic design is a part of design. (laughs) There's something about it that's very funny, because it's like,
0: it's such a meta commentary. And it's such a meta design. on one hand, it's like, it's not really saying anything new, but also it kind of is because it's putting all of the old stuff in a new context. Um, and you know, sometimes things can just be fun.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of, like of you know of pop art, like soup cans, um and it yeah, the, which which also to me, I feel like pop art a lot of it is about just fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this one, um, yeah, like I said, it's the USA's National uh, Pavilion and the exhibition is titled Everlasting Plastics. So this is like the opposite of the earth one. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, plastics also came from the earth just from a really long time ago. Um, And uh, so, uh, but has much different impacts. Um, So yeah, so they're the, this team said that their intention is they wanted to look at the impact of ubiquitous materials um, that, um, you know, are being used uh, throughout the world. Um, but they want to, like, reframe the overabundance of plastics um, but and uh, make us think about how the overabundance, you know, is everywhere. It's in our waterways, landfills, streets, um, j- just about. Our like, blood. Yeah, just about our blood yeah our, ourselves yeah um so uh, yeah and um so i think i think you know in a similar way that the earth one is you know about us thinking about you know that being a material that actually is probably much better for us and the environment this one is talking about it similarly but making us look at products that are killing us <laughs> so <laughs> oh. but i'm pretty sure the message is we shouldn't be using these, at least not this much.
0: Well, with this exhibit, um, is it like, what is it actually doing with the plastic to make it like this? Where did all of this come from and what did they do to it?
1: That is a good question. So the so what they're using, the material is called uh, densified expanded polystyrene, uh, also known as EPS. And um, th- most people probably would, would call it just styrofoam. And um, it says in the description that they're waste blocks. So I believe they collected it like from discarded EPS. Uh, EPS is actually used a lot like in buildings uh, as insulation. So that could be one place that they that they pulled from. Um, and I believe what they did is then they just used these like salvaged EPS blocks and carved them into or like cut them up into various pieces and like, you know, kind of built this entire exhibition uh, with it.
0: I've, I've, I'm I'm up two minds about this because um, obviously I agree with the message and I think it's a really important message, but on the other hand, I'm like, okay, we get it, plastic bad, like we need to be solutions oriented. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. No, I I think you're right. And which is why I think the Earth one is like the solution. Exactly. And this one is still calling out the problem, which, to be fair, there are still some people who don't admit that we have problems. But I think at this point, we just need to move on from those people and figure out solutions and they can do whatever they want. Yeah,
0: that's (laughs) the same thing. And It's like, oh, we have the room full of plastic and the room full of Earth. And it's like, okay, but like, what is the room full of
1: plastic suggesting for tomorrow? do we have ideas <laughs> so this one is called um not for sale uh so an exhibition that uh basically like it looks like it's um like f- wood frames of an unfinished house and it's got some like displays and uh sort of like pieces of paper that's like, hanging on it and um the People who uh, so the exhibition designers are saying that they're they want to draw attention to the challenges of housing in uh, which is a huge crisis in Canada, as well as a lot of other places. But, you know, it's it's you know, I I know a lot more about the housing crisis in Canada uh, being from there. And oh, and and it was it's actually curated by a collective um, called Architects Against Housing Alienations. Uh, Aha is their um, their acronym. So what they're trying to do is draw attention to the fact that most Canadians can't afford a house anymore um, and, you know, and not just low income people, but most middle class people at this point can't either, even in like outskirt like suburbs and like a lot of different communities and um yeah i mean and it's it's similar to the plastic one it's calling out a problem i again i'm not i didn't go to this show i don't know if there's solutions in here um but yeah so it kind of is just um it's about architecture but it's more about how we can't live in them anymore yikes what a downer (laughs) i know sorry i don't mean Mm. to make light of it
0: obviously it's an extremely serious issue and it's it's really important to talk about but yeah
1: wow i think similar to some of the other works it 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 does seem like a lot of the national exhibitions is i think the the organizers decided like to take this as an opportunity to like to point out sort of like a wider social issue um kind of in line with the fact that that this exhibition is about things like exploring you know inequities and things like that but yeah but it's just kind of like it's again traditionally in the past uh again not all uh uh, exhibitions weren't necessarily about a particular building, but there were a lot more like, here is a design of a building. Whereas like this is just an unfinished like wood frame. <laughs> like so
0: And it I mean everything that you've shown me so far has been so creative and such a different interpretation to the ideas of architecture. And I know that you're you are like choosing out selections. And so I assume some that are in the show are like a little bit more traditional. Um but it does seem like there is there's so There's such a wide world of what can exist at an architecture um, exhibition, and I feel like we're really seeing a lot of different versions of that.
1: Um, Yeah, I think I'll just pop in another link. um, So like when we have show notes, like people can just look through them. But um, the next one that I put in there um, are also just highlights from the British Pavilion, uh, which is called Dancing Before the Moon. And... Uh, and so this one specifically is a lot of the, uh, organizers or curators of this exhibition, um, as well as the art, the works that are featured in there are, are created by British, um, artists and like designers who are, uh, living in diaspora, like from their, um, home communities. And so, uh, yeah, and and I think as you can see kind of in this one, um, a lot of it looks more like museum pieces. They're um, like, like sculptural works that are sitting like on a plinth in many cases. You know, an example is if you think if you scroll down a few images on a page, um, it's a artwork that gets the blue one that looks like there's a piece of clothing that's like painted in like this kind of like, rustic looking like blue color I want to say um so it's by uh, the artist uh Sandra Paulson and um she wanted to just like highlight like different like the socioeconomic implications of like outdoor cleaning kind of talking about like the status and the type of people who take on this type of work um so again like this one I think is an example one of those that similar to before is like how much does this have to do with architecture I'm not totally sure. So like in a way it's kind of like art. The, the way I view it is, you know, like I design buildings for a living. And but for me it's not about the buildings, it's about the people who live in them or work in them or like uh, go to the hospital in them. Um like again, like I don't personally think this is a huge stretch, but I I can understand how someone is like this is an artwork. <laughs> so <laughs> If it I, it does seem like the line is a bit blurry. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of like, so leads me to sort of the final thing I did want to talk about, which is... Um, So there was an article that was written by uh, this architect called uh, Patrick Schumacher. I'm sorry, not really an article. It's actually more of a Facebook rant. Um, But the the link I give you is in the article about his Facebook rant. But um, (laughs) anyway, and I think there is a link to his rant in there. But he, uh, so Patrick Schumacher is, he's a um, a German architect who's based in uh, the the UK. He's in London. And he is actually the principal uh, architect of Zaha Hadid architects and so um have you heard of Zaha Hadid? I have not. Okay yeah so she was um I would say like when she was alive she was probably like one of the most if like not like the most um, like famous architect in the world at the time. Um, but yeah, so she um, passed away in 2016 and he uh, took over as the principal architect and he was um, her like, you know, sort of business partner and a co-designer for many years. And uh, so, you know, kind of him taking over one of the most famous architecture companies in the world, like he is now also, you know, somebody who's pretty well known, and established and. Have, has a lot of followers i guess he basically said th- this show is ridiculous <laughs> like or i'm paraphrasing but so but he or but what he specifically said was he thinks it's an anti-architectural biennale um he says the these national pavilions refuse to show the works of architects and is like so he thinks there's barely any architects there's maybe only like one exhibition that he came across that he thinks actually has like some architecture and i think it was like some i think it was in the chinese pavilion um but other than that he's just saying that like this is this is has not this has nothing to do with architecture anymore um but like in addition to that he is he actually says What we are witnessing here is the discursive self-annihilation of the discipline. Um, He criticized all of the European national exhibitions, specifically the British one. Uh, Oh, and then he uh, says the German pavilion is just piles of construction material. And again, I think that was also another one I was going to mention, but it also you know it is also uh the german pavilion talks about um kind of like sustainability and construction waste as well um and yeah so but he's like it's just a pile of construction material which In a way, he's not wrong. Um, And he says, what does this tell us? He says, he thinks this tells us that there's no noteworthy architecture in Germany, France, etc., or anywhere in the world. And or specifically to these nations who presented works that aren't of traditional architects. And he says, is the design and construction of buildings only an occasion for bad conscience? Is this bad conscience, the motive force behind the refusal um, to display any contemporary architecture whatsoever? (laughs) <laughs> he says, "Is my conception of architecture as a discipline too narrow if I expect to see architectural design in an architecture biennale?" And then he says, "I don't think so." <laughs> so, anyway, well, I, what is what do you think of his his critique? I have several immediate
0: thoughts. I'm going to start with the really petty ones. So, they include his headshot in this article, and I can't help but feel that they are doing that as a roast like there is no they probably are. there is no reason to include a picture of this man's face in this but they just put a <laughs> giant picture of him in the middle and like there's nothing wrong with him but there is like he's just some guy you know <laughs> like <laughs> fundamentally when you look at him you're like that's just some guy and i feel like that's why they did that So just so you know this is the face that is saying these words um, which is so funny,
1: <laughs> and also I, cl- yeah, I has a very awkward smile in that picture. Yeah, it's
0: I <laughs> but- I have to assume there are better pictures of him out there also. But again, like it's not, I'm not saying he's ugly. I'm just saying he's just some guy. <laughs> um, and I know that I'm I'm I know he's very successful architect or whatever. But people who get it get it. They know they know what I mean. <laughs> um, but I also was like, oh wait, where exactly did he say this again? And I was like, oh, it was a Facebook post. That's interesting because I was I wasn't sure like. Because sometimes people just sort of, like, say things kind of offhand, and you're like, mm, what are we doing here? But there's a lot of quotes, and I'm like, was this in an interview? No, it was on a little essay he wrote on his Facebook page. And so I clicked on the Facebook post just to see. It's so long, and I'm like, get a life, my dude. Yeah. Shouldn't you be, maybe if you did more architecture instead of spending your time writing Facebook essays, we wouldn't be in this position. But then I scrolled down, and, like, out of the three top comments, one of them is, like, let's do... A, like, come on my podcast to talk about this. And one's like, I actually talked to ChatGPT about uh, criticisms of the B&L. and I'm like I, you know, I feel like with these This is the content <laughs> on Facebook, but by the way, this I'm is the, these on. are the Facebook comments. And this is just like when these when this is the reaction and he's like at, he's like positively engaging with these comments also. When this is the reaction that you were garnering, it just like makes me distrust you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Anyway, those are those are my petty thoughts. Um, my actual response to what he says, I mean I guess I guess I kind of already had a response. I said it's just like maybe get a life. I don't know. Um it feels <laughs> like he's he has he has an idea of what architecture is and how it should be presented at exhibitions such as this. And like, you know, I am not an expert in this field and I'm not here to say that he is wrong, but I'm also I just don't think that he can say he is right either because it is something that is subjective. And I think that my impression and my understanding of this is that the Biennale is... Uh, talking about architecture as an art form. And this year it was pretty experimental in using architecture in conversations with other forms of art and like really pushing the boundaries of what that can be. And if he doesn't like that, that's fine. He doesn't have to like it. But I don't think he is the authority on what is architecture or not. No one is.
1: Well, exactly. Um, For a little bit of context, Patrick Schumacher, this is not the first time he posted a Facebook Oh, of course. Slash rant. <laughs> yeah. It, so and so, what you said? Maybe if you just spent more time doing architecture <laughs> instead of posting on Facebook. <laughs> I'm like, you are so like you. You have no idea how on the like nose you are, because he like over the years, it's so interesting because like he used to be much more of a respected person, at least based on what I have learned. um, When Uh, Zaha Hadid was alive and um, it it kind of just devolved after she died and more and more he became like old man yelling at the sky or whatever Uh, but like almost always on Facebook like anytime there's some architecture thing that he doesn't like he just posts on there and um the one thing I know about is a number of years ago. So the Pritzker Prize of Architecture, which is like kind of like some people say, it's like the Nobel Prize of Architecture, which Azaha Hadid was a laureate um, a, a number of years ago. Um, but more recently, like uh, a lot more people who are awarded this um Award have been people who have known to have created a lot of humanitarian architecture. I think the year he made his rant was this architect called Alexander, or sorry, Alejandro uh, Aravana, and he was just known for like making a lot of uh, or uh, or building a lot of architecture that is you know for marginalized communities. And uh, so, and this past year, um, person who won the uh, award was Francis Carey, who I talked about, has a lot of really you know great like um, sustainability and like local solutions and so he basically was just like this is ridiculous why what what do we have to be like a humanitarian now to be a good architect and like what is this like is this is no longer about like good architecture it's just about like saving the world or something (laughs) do we have to care about other people to be good at architect
0: yes (laughs) i'm gonna come out strong yeah my dude (laughs)
1: and it's just so funny and like um and i won't go i can go on a lot about this but i'm getting off topic but like but basically um yeah he has a history of doing this and um he but he has a, a very specific like idea in his mind of like not only what architecture should be but what good architecture should be and apparently in his opinion Solving, like, problems, like, for people around the world, whether it's environmental or, like, you know, poverty or whatever is not necessarily important <laughs> to him. And and that's the thing. A lot of the parts of this show uh, showcase things like, you know, kind of, like, environment and equity, which were things that he's been complaining about for a long time now. So he probably on top of that is, like, and this is more of the crap that I've said I don't like for a long time. <laughs> and... But yeah, I I think, again, it's like a parts of his criticism is like it's understandable, but it's also like, you know, he, he should probably just go back to practicing architecture. Yeah. Feels like
0: maybe brush up a little bit, try a little harder in your own career. Maybe then you won't feel so insecure that you have to take to Facebook to complain about other successful architects.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I think I saw someone comment. I think it's like farther down on that Facebook post. Someone just said, "I think this is Patrick Schumacher complaining about not being included in the Venice Biennale." Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that that was kind of about it. Um, I like I, you know, I do personally think there's a lot of interesting things in this uh particular Biennale. I would personally like to see it. Like I'll. You know, I I, can, I haven't seen this show, and I you know only sort of read about a bunch of the installations. So it's also hard for me to judge how successful this this really is. But again, I think we talked about I think the history of the art biennale as well as now the architecture one. Like this is this is a type of show that's known to be experimental and pushing like at the forefront of the avant-garde. Like especially um, for a lot of the art movements like historically and and it's about some of it's often about social issues its responses to like global political um like events that majorly impact the world so like it's not it's not unique and and again like if anything this should be a show for these types of things but but you know everybody's opinion is, is different
0: i guess there really is uh there's someone out there for everyone um there's someone out there who agrees with you no matter what your opinion is. Um, and, again, you know, if you don't like this stuff, that's fine. You just don't – it's it's the um, I don't like this and therefore it's bad to like it kind of opinion that I, I take an issue with. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I, I certainly agree with that. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you for uh, sticking around with me about this uh these topics that i are very kind of interesting to me and i hope you found them interesting too
0: this is great thank you so much for sharing
1: uh if
0: you want to find our show notes that are at relay.fm slash pictorial um, we're also on instagram at pictorial pod and i'm on instagram at quinster rose
1: and um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at ArticulationsV, and I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel for Pictorial Podcasts where we upload video versions of our audio episodes a few months after they are released in audio format. Um, so for this one, you'll be looking at some architecture-ish images.
0: Thanks for listening, Art
1: Enthusiasts. Art Enthusiasts.